The Barbarous Tale of Himself I was living in Baghdad during the times of Al-Mustansir Bilal, son of Al-Mustazi Bilal, the then caliph, a prince who loved the poor and needy, and companied with the learned and pious. One day it happened to him that he was wroth with ten persons, highwaymen who robbed on the caliph's highway, and he ordered the prefect of Baghdad to bring them into the presence on the anniversary of the great festival. So the prefect sallied out, and making them his prisoners, embarked with them in a boat. I caught sight of them as they were embarking, and I said to myself, These are surely assembled for a marriage feast. Methinks they are spending their day in the boat, eating and drinking, and none shall be companion of their cups but I myself. So I rose, O fair assembly, and, of the excess of my courtesy and the gravity of my understanding, I embarked with them and entered into conversation with them. They rode across to the opposite bank, where they landed, and there came up the watch and guardians of the peace with chains, which they put around the robbers' necks. They chained me among the rest of them, and, O people, is it not proof of my courtesy and spareness of speech, that I held my peace and did not please to speak? Then they took us away in Bilbo's, and next morning carried us before Al-Mustansir Bailah, commander of the faithful, who bade smite the necks of the ten robbers. So the sworder came forth after they were seated on the leather of blood, then drawing his blade, struck off one head after another until he had smitten the neck of the tenth, and I alone remained. The caliph looked at me and asked the headsman, saying, What ails thee that thou hast struck off only nine heads? Allah forbid that I should behead only nine, when thou biddest me behead ten. Meseems thou hast smitten the necks of only nine, and this man before thee is the tenth. By thy beneficence, I have beheaded ten, cried the caliph. Count them! And when asked they counted heads, lo, there were ten. The caliph looked at me and said, What made thee keep silence at a time like this? And how camest thou to company with these men of blood? Tell me the cause of all this, for albeit thou a very old man, assuredly thy wits are weak. Now when I heard these words from the caliph, I sprang to my feet and replied, Know, O prince of the faithful, that I am the silent sheikh, and I am thus called to distinguish me from my six brothers. I am a man of immense learning, whilst as for the gravity of my understanding, the wiliness of my wits, and the spareness of my speech, there is no end of them. And my calling is that of a barber. I went out early on yesterday morning and saw these men making for a skiff, and, fancying they were bound for a marriage feast, I joined with them and mixed with them. After a while came the watch and guardians of the peace, who put chains around their necks and around mine with the rest, but, in the excess of my courtesy, I held my peace and spake not a word, nor was this other but generosity on my part. They brought us into thy presence, and thou gayest in order to smite the necks of the ten, yet did I not make myself known to thee, and remain silent before this order, purely of my great generosity and courtesy, which led me to share with them their death. But all my life have I dealt thus nobly with mankind, and they requite me the foulest and evilest requital. When the caliph heard my words, and knew that I was a man of exceeding generosity and of very few words, one in whom is no forwardness, as this youth would have it, whom I rescued from mortal risk, and who had so scurvily repaid me, he laughed with excessive laughter until he fell upon his back. <laughs> then he said to me, Oh, silent man! Do thy six brothers favor thee in wisdom and knowledge and spareness of speech? I replied, Never were they like me. Thou puttest reproach upon me, O commander of the faithful, and it becomes thee not even to my brothers with me. For of the abundance of their speech and the deficiency of courtesy and gravity, each of them hath gotten some maim or other. One is monocular, another palsy, third 
stone blind, a fourth cropped of ears and of nose, and a fifth shorn of both lips, while the sixth is a hunchback and a cripple? And conceive not, O commander of the faithful, that I am prodigal of speech, but I must perforce explain to thee that I am a man of greater worth and fewer words than any of them. From each one of my brothers hangs a tale of how he came by his bodily defect, and these I will relate to thee. So the caliph gave ear to the barbarous tale of his first brother. Know then, O commander of the faithful, that my first brother, Al-Bakbuk the Prattler, is a hunchback who took to tailoring in Baghdad, and he used to sew in a shop hired from a man of much wealth, who dwelt over at the shop, and there was also a flour mill in the basement. One day as my brother, the hunchback, was sitting in his shop at tailoring, he chanced to raise his head and saw a lady, like the rising full moon at the balconied window of his landlord's house, engaged in looking out at the passers-by. When my brother beheld her, his heart was taken with love of her, and he passed his whole day gazing at her and neglecting his tailoring till eventide. Next morning he opened his shop and sat down to sew, but as so often he stitched a stitch, he looked to the window and saw her as before, and his passion and infatuation for her increased. On the third day, as he was sitting in his usual place, gazing on her, she caught sight of him, and, perceiving that he had been captivated with love of her, <laughs> laughed in his face, and he smiled back at her. Then she disappeared, and presently sent her slave girl to him with a bundle containing a piece of red coward silk. The handmaid accosted him and said, My lady salameth to thee, and desire thee of thy skill and goodwill, to fashion for her a shift of this piece, and to sew it handsomely with thy best sewing. He replied, Hearkening and obedience. Then shaped for her a chemise, and finished sewing it in the same day. When the morning morrowed, the girl came back to him and said, My lady salameth to thee, and asked how thou hast passed yesternight, for she hath not tasted sleep by reason of her heart being taken up with thee. Then she laid before him a piece of yellow satin, and said, My lady biddeth thee cut her two pair of petticoat trousers out of this piece, and sew them this very day. Hearkening and obedience, replied he. Greet her for me with many greetings, and say to her, Thy slave is obedient to thine order, so command him as thou wilt. Then he applied himself to cutting out and worked hard at sewing the trousers. And after an hour, the lady appeared at the lattice and saluted him by signs. Now casting down her eyes, then smiling in his face, <laughs> and he began to assure himself that he would soon make a conquest. She did not let him stir until he had finished the two pair of trousers. When she withdrew and sent the handmaid to whom he delivered them, and she took them and went her ways. When it was night, he threw himself on his carpet bed and lay tossing about from side to side till morning. When he rose and sat down in his place, presently the damsel came to him and said, My master calleth for thee. Hearing these words, he feared with exceeding fear. But the slave girl, seeing his affright, said to him, No evil is meant to thee, not but good awaiteth thee. My lady would have thee make acquaintance with my lord. So my brother the tailor, rejoicing with great joy, went with her, and when he came into the presence of his landlord, the lady's husband, he kissed the ground before him, and the master of the house returned his greeting and gave him a great piece of linen, saying, Shave me shirts out of this stuff and sew them well. And my brother answered, To hear is to obey. Thereupon he fell to work at once, snipping and shaping and sewing till he had finished twenty shirts by supper time, without stopping to taste food. The housemaster asked him, How much the wage for this? And he answered, Twenty dirhams. So the gentleman cried out to the slave girl, Bring me twenty dirhams. And my brother spake not a word, but the lady sighed, Take nothing from him. Whereupon my brother said, By Allah I will take not from thy hand. 
and he carried off his tailor's gear and returned to his shop, although he was destitute even to a red cent. Then he applied himself to do their work, eating in his zeal and diligence, but a bit of bread and drinking only a little water for three days. At the end of this time came the handmaid and said to him, What hast thou done? Quoth he, They are finished. And carried the shirts to the lady's husband, who would have paid him his hire, but he said, I will take nothing. For fear of her, and returning to his shop, passed the night without sleep because of his hunger. Now the dame had informed her husband how the case stood, my brother knowing naught of this, and the two agreed to make him tailor for nothing, the better to mock and laugh at him. Next morning he went to his shop, and as he sat there, the handmaid came to him and said, Speak with my master. So he accompanied her to the husband, who said to him, I wish thee to cut out for me five long sleeve So he cut them out, and took the stuff, and went away. Then he sewed them, and carried them to the gentleman, who praised his sewing, and offered him a purse of silver. He put out his hand to take it, but the lady sighed to him, from behind her husband, not to do so, and he replied, Oh, my lord, there is no hurry. We have time enough for this. Then he went forth from the house, meaner and meeker than a donkey, for verily five things were gathered together in him, these, love, beggary, hunger, nakedness, and hard labor. Nevertheless, he heartened himself with the hope of gaining the lady's favors. When he had made an end of all of their jobs, they played him another trick and married him to their slave girl. But on the night when he thought to go into her, they said to him, Lie this night in the mill, and tomorrow all will go well. My brother concluded that there was some good cause for this, and nighted alone in the mill. Now the husband had set on the miller to make the tailor turn the mill. So when night was half spent, the man came in to him and began to say, This bull of yours had become useless instead of this tool instead of going around. He will not turn the mill this night, and yet we have a great store of corn to be ground. However, I'll yoke him perforce and make him finish grinding it before morning. <laughs> so as all the folks are patient for their flour. So he filled the hoppers with grain, and going up to my brother with a rope in his hand, tied it around his neck and said to him, So as all the folks are patient for their flour. Yep! Yeah. <laughs> round with the mill! Old boy was said to nothing but grub and stale and talk. Then he took a whip and laid it on the shoulders and calves of my brother, who began to howl and bellow. Oh! But none came to help him. <laughs> and he was forced to grind the wheat till hard upon dawn. The housemaster came in, and seeing my brother still tethered to the yoke, and the man flogging him, went away. Daybreak, the miller returned home and left him still yoked and half dead. And soon after, in came the slave girl, who unbound him and said to him, I and my lady are right sorry for what had happened, and we have borne thy grief with thee. But he had no tongue wherewithin to answer her from excessive beating and mill-turning. Then he retired to his lodging, and behold, the clerk who had drawn up the marriage deed came to him and saluted him, saying, Allah, give thee long life. May thy espousal be blessed. This face telleth of pleasant doings and dalliance and kissing and clipping from dusk to dawn. Allah grant the liar no peace, O thou thousandfold cuckold! My brother replied, By Allah, I did nothing but turn the mill in the place of the bull all night till morning. Tell me thy tale. 
Quoth he, and my brother recounted what had befallen him, and he said, Thy star agrees not with her star, but an thou wilt, I can alter the contract for thee. Adding, Where, lest another cheat be not in store for thee. And my brother answered him, See if thou have not another contravance. Then the clerk left him and he sat in his shop, looking for someone to bring him a job whereby he might earn his day's bread. Presently the handmaid came to him and said, Speak with my lady. Be gone, oh my good girl, replied he. There shall be no more dealings between me and thy lady. The handmaid returned with her mistress and told her what my brother had said, and presently she put her head out the window, weeping and saying, Why, oh my beloved, are there to be no more dealings twixt me and thee? But he made her no answer. Then she wept and conjured him, swearing that all that had befallen him in the mill was not sanctioned by her, and that she was innocent of the whole matter. When he looked upon her beauty and loveliness, the sorrow which had possessed him passed from his heart. He accepted her excuse and rejoiced in her sight. So he saluted her and talked with her and sat tailoring a while, after which the handmaid came to him and said, My mistress greeted thee and informed thee that her husband purposeth to lie abroad this night in the house of some intimate friends of his. So when he has gone, do thou come to us and spend the night with my lady in the light of joints till the morning. Now her husband asked her, <laughs> Also we managed to turn him away from thee. And she answered, Leave me to play him another trick and make him a laughing stock for all the town. But my brother knew not of the malice of women. As soon as it was dusk, the slave girl came to him and carried him to the house. And when the lady saw him, said to him, By Allah, O oh my lord, I have been longing exceedingly for thee. By Allah, cried he, kiss me quick before thou give me aught else. Hardly had he spoken when the lady's husband came in from the next room and seized him, saying, I will not let thee go till I deliver thee to the chief of the town watch. My brother humbled himself to him, but he would not listen to him, and carried him before the prefect who gave him a hundred lashes with a whip, and, mounting him on a camel, promenaded him around the city, whilst the guards proclaimed aloud, This is his reward who violated the harems of honorable men. Moreover, he fell off the camel and broke his leg, and so became lame. Then the prefect banished him from the city, and he went forth, unknowing whither he should wend. But I heard of him, and fearing for him, went out after him, and brought him back secretly into the city, and restored him to health, and took him into my house, where he still liveth. The caliph laughed at my story and said, <laughs> oh, Thou hast done well, O oh, Samit! O oh, silent man, O oh, spare of speech! <laughs> and he bade me take a present and go away. But I said, I will accept not of thee, except I tell thee what befell all my other brothers, and do not think me a man of many words. So the caliph gave ear to the barber's tale of his second brother. Know, O commander of the faithful, that my second brother's name was Al-Hadar, that is the babbler, and he was the paralytic. Now it happened to him one day, as he was going about his business, that an old woman accosted him and said, Stop a little, my good man, that I may tell thee of somewhat which, if it be to thy liking, 
thou shalt do for me, and I will pray Allah to give thee good of it. My brother stopped, and she went on. I will put thee in the way of a certain thing, so thou not be prodigal of speech. On with thy talk. What sayest thou to handsome quarters, in a fair garden with flowing waters, flowers blooming, and fruit growing, and old wine growing in a pretty young face, whose owner thou mayest embrace from dark till dawn? If thou do what so, I bid thee thou shalt see something greatly to thy advantage. And is all this in the world? Asked my brother, and she answered, Yes, and it shall be done. So thou be reasonable, and leave idle curiosity in many words, and do thy bidding. I will indeed, O oh my lady, said he. How is it thou hast preferred this matter before all men? And what is it that so much pleaseth thee? Quoth she, did I not bid thee be spare of speech? Hold thy peace and follow me. Know that the young lady, to whom I shall carry thee, loveth to have her own way and hate thee, being thwarted in all who gainsay. So, if thou humor her, thou shalt come to thy desire. And my brother said, I will not cross her in then she went on, and my brother followed her, and hungering after what she described to him, until they entered a fine large house, handsome and choicely furnished, full of eunuchs and servants, and showing signs of prosperity from top to bottom. And she was carrying him to the upper story when the people of the house said to him, What dost thou hear? But the old woman answered them, Hold your peace and trouble him not. He is a workman, and we have occasion for him. Then she brought him into a fine great pavilion, with a garden in its midst. Never I saw a fairer, and made him sit upon a handsome couch. He had not sat long before he heard a loud noise, and in came a troop of slave girls surrounding a lady, like the moon on the night of its fullest. When he saw her, he rose up and made an obeisance to her, whereupon she welcomed him and bade him be seated. So he sat down, and she said to him, Allah advance thee to honor. Is all well with thee? Oh, my lady, he answered, All with me is right well. Then she bade bring in food, and they set before her delicate viands. So she sat down to eat, making a show of affection to my brother, and jesting with him. Though all the while she could not <laughs> refrain from laughing. But as often as he looked at her, she sighed towards her handmaidens, as though she were laughing at them. My brother, the ass, understood nothing, but in the excess of his ridiculous passion, he fancied that the lady was in love with him, and that she would soon grant him his desire. When they had done eating, they set on the wine, and there came in ten maidens of wounds, with lutes ready strung in their hands, and fell to singing with full voices, sweet and sad. Whereupon delight get hold upon him, and he took the cup from the lady's hands, and drank it standing. Then she drank a cup of wine, and my brother, still standing, said to her, Health! and bowed to her. She handed him another cup, and he drank of it, when she slapped him hard on the nape of the neck. Upon this my brother would have gone out of the house in anger, but the old woman followed him, and winked to him in return. So he came back, and the lady bade him sit down, and he sat down without a word. 
Then she slapped him again on the nape of the neck. And the second slapping did not suffice her. She must needs make all her handmaidens also clap and cuff him, while he kept saying to the old woman, I never saw aught nicer than this. She sat on her side, ceased not exclaiming, <laughs> Enough! Enough! I conjure thee. Oh, my mistress. But the women slapped him till he well nigh swooned away. Presently, my brother rose and went out to obey a call of nature. But the old woman overtook him and said, Be patient a little, and thou shalt win to thy wish. My brother replied, How much longer have I to wait? This slapping hath made me feel faint. Answered she, As soon as she is warm with wine, thou shalt have thy desire. So he returned to his place and sat down, whereupon all the handmaidens stood up, and the lady bade them perfume him with pastilles, and besprinkled his face with rose water. Then she said to him, Allied vans, little other. Thou hast entered my house, and hast borne with my conditions. But whoso thwart at me, I turn him away. And whoso is patient, had his desire. Oh, mistress mine, said he, I am thy slave, and in the hollow of thine hand. No, then... Continued she, That Allah had made me passionately fond of frolic. And whoso falleth in with my humor, cometh by whatso he wisheth. Then she ordered her maidens to sing with loud voices till the whole company was delighted. After which she said to one of them, Take thy lord, and do what is needful for him, and bring him back to me forthright. So the damsel took my brother, and he not knowing what she would do with him, but the old woman overtook him and said, Be patient. There remained but little to do. At this his face brightened, and he stood up before the lady, while the old woman kept saying, Be patient. Thou wilt now at once win to thy wish. Till he said, Tell me, what would she have the maiden do with me? Nothing but good. Replied she, As I am thy sacrifice, she was hath only to dye thy eyebrows and pluck out thy mustachios. Quoth he, <laughs> As for the dyeing of my eyebrows, that will come off with washing. But for the plucking of my mustachios, that indeed is a somewhat painful process. Be cautious how thou cross her, cried the old woman, for she hath set her heart on thee. So my brother patiently suffered her to dye his eyebrows and pluck out his mustachios, after which the maiden returned to her mistress and told her, quoth she, Remain now only one other thing to be done. Thou must shave his beard and make him smooth of face. So the maiden went back and told him what her mistress had bidden her do. And my brother, the blockhead, said to her, How shall I do what will disgrace me before the folk? But the old woman said, 
She would do on this wise only that thou mayest be as a beardless youth, and that no hair be left on thy face to scratch and prick her delicate cheeks. For indeed she is passionately in love with thee. So be patient, and thou shalt attain thine object. My brother was patient, and did her bidding, and let shave off his beard. And, when he was brought back to the lady, lo, he appeared dyed red to his eyebrows, plucked of both mustachios, shorn of his beard, rouged on both cheeks. At first she was affrighted of him. Then she made mockery of him, and, laughing till she fell upon her back, said... <laughs> oh, my lord, thou hast indeed won my heart by thy good nature. Then she conjured him by her life to stand up and dance, and he arose and capered about, and there was not a cushion in the house, but she threw it at his head, and in like manner did all of her women, who also kept pelting him with oranges and lemons and citrons, till he fell down senses from the cuffing of the nape of the neck, the pillowing and the fruit pelting. Now thou hast attained thy wish, said the old woman when he came round. There are no more blows in store for thee. And there remains but one little thing to do. It is her wont. When she is in her cups, to let no one have her until she put off her dress and trousers and remain stark naked. Then she will bid thee doff thy clothes and run. And she will run before thee as if she were flying from thee. And do thou follow her from place to place, till thy prickle stands at fullest point, when she will yield to thee. Adding, Strip off thy clothes at once. So he rose, well nigh lost in ecstasy, and doffing his raiment, showed himself mother naked. And Shahrazad perceived the dawn of day, and ceased to say her permitted say. When it was the thirty-second night, she said, it hath reached me, O auspicious king, that when the old woman said to the barber's second brother, Doth thy clothes. He rose, well nigh lost in ecstasy, and stripping off his raiment, showed himself mother naked. Whereupon the lady stripped also, and said to my brother, If thou want anything, run after me till thou catch me. Then she set out at a run, and he ran after her, while she rushed into room after room, and rushed out of room after room, my brother scampering after her, in a rage of desire like a veritable madman, with the yard standing terribly tall. After much of this kind, she dashed into the darkened place, and he dashed after her, but suddenly he trod upon a yielding spot, which gave way under his weight, and before he was aware of where he was, he found himself in the midst of a crowded market, part of the bazaar of the leather sellers, who were crying the prices of skins and hides and buying and selling. When they saw him in his plight, naked with standing yard, shorn of beard and mustachios, with eyebrows dyed red, and cheeks ruddied with rouge, they shouted and clapped their hands at him, and set to flogging him with skins upon his bare body till a swoon came over him. Then they threw him on the back of an ass and carried him off to the chief of police. Quoth the chief, What is this? Quoth they, This fellow fell suddenly upon us out of the vizier's house in this state. So the prefect gave him a hundred lashes and then banished him from Baghdad. However, I went out after him and brought him back secretly into the city and made him a daily allowance for his living. Although, were it not for my generous humor, I could not have put up with the like of him. Then the caliph gave ear to the barber's tale of his third brother. My third brother's name was Al-Fakik the Gabbler. 
who was blind. One day, fate and fortune drove him to a fine large house, and he knocked at the door, desiring speech of its owner that he might beg somewhat of him. Quoth the master of the house, Who is at the door? But my brother spake not a word, and presently he heard him repeat with a loud voice, Who is this? Still he made no answer, and immediately heard the master walk to the door and open it and say, What dost thou want? My brother answered, Something for Allah Almighty's sake. Art thou blind? Yes. Stretch me out thy hand. So my brother put out his hand, thinking that he would give him something. But he took it, and drawing him into the house, carried him from stair to stair till they reached the terrace on the housetop. My brother, thinking the while that he would surely give him something of food or money. Then he asked my brother, What dost thou want, O blind man? Something for the Almighty's sake. Allah open for thee some other door. O thou, why not thou say so when I was below stairs? Thou cadger, why not answer for me when I first called to thee? And what meanest thou to do for me now? There's nothing in this house to give thee. Then take me down the stair. The path is before thee. So my brother rose and made his way downstairs, till he came within twenty steps of the door, when his foot slipped, and he rolled to the bottom and broke his head. Then he went out, unknowing whither to turn, and presently fell in with two other blind men, companions of his, who said to him, What didst thou gain today? He told them what had befallen him, and added, Oh, my brothers, I wish to take some of the money in my hands and provide myself with it. Now the master of the house had followed him and was listening to what they said, but neither my brother nor his companions knew of this. So my brother went to his lodging and sat down to await his companions, and the house owner entered after him without being perceived. When the other blind men arrived, my brother said to them, Bolt the door and search the house, lest any stranger fault us. The man hearing of this caught hold of a cord that hung from the ceiling and clung to it. Whilst they went round about the house and searched, but found no one. So they came back, and sitting beside my brother, brought out their money which they counted, and lo, it was twelve thousand dirhams. Each took what he wanted, and they buried the rest in the corner of the room. Then they set on food, and sat down to eat. Presently, my brother, hearing a strange pair of jaws munching by his side, said to his friends, There is a stranger amongst us. And putting forth his hand, got hold of that of the housemaster. Thereupon all fell on him and beat him, and when tired of belaboring him, they shouted, Oh, ye Muslims, a thief has come unto us, seeking to take our money. A crowd gathered around them, whereupon the intruder hung on to them, and complained with them as they complained, and, shutting his eyes like them, so that none might doubt his blindness, cried out, Oh, Muslims, I take refuge with Allah and the governor, for I have a matter to make known to him. Suddenly up came the watch, and, laying hands upon the whole lot, my brother being amongst them, drove them to the governors who set them before him and asked, What news of you? Quoth the intruder, Look and find out for thyself. Not a word shall be wrung from us save by torture, so begin by beating me, and after me beat this man, our leader. And he pointed to my brother. So they threw the man at full length and gave him four hundred sticks on his backside. The beating pained him, whereupon he opened one eye, and as they redoubled their blows, he opened the other eye. When the governor saw this, he said to him, What have we here, our cursed? Whereto he replied, Give me the seal ring of pardon, 
We four have sham blind, and we have imposed upon people that we may enter houses and look upon the unveiled faces of the women and contrive for their corruption. In this way, we have gotten great gain, and our store amounts to twelve thousand dirhams. Said I to my company, Give me my share, three thousand. But they rose and beat me and took away my money, and I seek refuge with Allah and with thee. But if thou have my share, then they. So if thou wouldst know the truth of my words, beat one and every of the others more than thou hast beaten me, and he will surely open his eyes. The governor gave orders for the question to begin with my brother, and they bound him to a whipping post, and the governor said, O scum of the earth, do ye abuse the gracious gifts of Allah and make it as if we were blind? cried my brother. Allah, Allah, by Allah, there is none among us who can see. Then they beat him till he swooned away, and the governor cried, Leave him till he comes to, then beat him again. After this, he caused each of the companions to receive more than three hundred sticks, whilst the sham Abraham kept saying to them, Open your eyes, or you will be beaten afresh. At last the man said to the governor, Dispatch someone with me to bring thee the money. For these fellows will not open their eyes, lest they incur disgrace before the folk. So the governor sent to fetch the money, and gave the man his pretended share, three thousand dirhams. And, keeping the rest for himself, banished the three blind men from the city. But I, O commander of the faithful, went out, and overtaking my brother, questioned him of his case. Whereupon he told me what I have told thee. So I brought him secretly into the city, and appointed him, in the strictest privacy, an allowance for meat and drink. The caliph laughed at my story and said, (laughs) Give him a gift, and let him go! But I said, By Allah, I will take naught till I have made known to the commander of the faithful what came to pass to the rest of my brothers, for truly I am a man of few words and spare speech. Then the caliph gave ear to the barber's tale of his fourth brother. Now as for my fourth brother, O commander of the faithful, Al-Quz al-Aswani, or the long-necked Guglatite, from his brimming over with words, the same who was blinded of one eye, he became a butcher in Baghdad, and he sold flesh and fatted rams, and great men and rich bought their meat of him, so that he amassed much wealth and got him cattle and houses. He fared thus a long while, till one day, as he was sitting in his shop, there came up an old man, and long of the beard, who laid down some silver and said, Give me meat for this. He gave him his money's worth of flesh, and the old stir went his ways. My brother examined the sheikh's silver, and seeing that the dirhams were white and bright, he set them in a place apart. The graybeard continued to return to the shop regularly for five months, and my brother ceased not to lay up all the coin he received from him in its own box. At last he thought to take out the money to buy sheep, so he opened the box and found in it nothing, save bits of white paper cut round to look like coin. So he buffeted his face and cried aloud to the folk gathered around him, Whereupon he told them his tale, which made them marvel exceedingly. Then he rose, as was his wont, and slaughtering the ram, hung it up inside his shop, after which he cut off some of the flesh, and hanging it outside, kept saying to himself, Oh Allah, will the ill-condemned old fellow but come? And an hour had not passed before the sheikh came with his silver in hand, whereupon my brother rose and cut hold of him, calling him out, Come aid me, O Muslims, and learn my story with this villain. When the old man heard this, he quietly said to him, Which will be the better for thee, to let go of me, or to be disgraced by me amidst the folk? In what wilt thou disgrace me? In that thou sellst man's flesh for mutton, 
Thou liest. Thou accursed. Nay, he is the accursed who hath a man hanging up by way of meat in his shop. If the matter be as thou sayest, I give thee lawful leave to take my money and my life. Then the old man cried out aloud, O ye people, if you would prove the truth of my words, enter this man's shop. The folk rushed in and found that the ram was become a dead man, hung up for sale. So they set upon my brother, crying out, Oh, Fidel, oh, villain. And his best friends fell to cuffing and kicking him and kept saying, Dost thou make us eat flesh of the sons of Adam? Furthermore, the old man struck him on the eye and put it out. Then they carried the carcass with the throat cut before the chief of the city watch, to whom the old man said, Oh, Emir, this fellow butchers men and sells their flesh for mutton, and we have brought him to thee. So arise and execute the judgments of Allah, to whom be honor and glory. My brother would have defended himself, but the chief refused to hear him and sentenced him to receive 500 sticks and to forfeit the whole of his property. And indeed, had it not been for that same property which he expended in bribes, they would have surely slain him. Then the chief banished him from Baghdad, and my brother fared forth that adventure till he came to a great town where he thought it best to set up as a cobbler. So he opened a shop and sat there, doing what he could for his livelihood. One day, as he went forth on his business, he heard the distant tramp of horses, and, asking the cause, was told that the king was going to hunt in course. So my brother stopped to look at the fine suite. It so fortuned that the king's eye met my brother's, whereupon the king hung down his head and said, I seek refuge with Allah from the evil of this day and turned the reins of his steed and returned home with all his retinue. Then he gave orders to his guards, who seized my brother and beat him with a beating so painful that he was well nigh dead. And my brother knew not what could be the cause of his maltreatment, after which he returned to his place in sorriest plight. Soon afterwards, he went to one of the king's household and related what had happened to him. And the man laughed till he fell upon his back and cried, (laughs) Oh, brother mine, Know that the king cannot bear to look at a monocular, especially if he be blind of the right eye, in which case he doth not let him go without killing him. When my brother heard this, he resolved to fly from that city, so he went forth from it to another, wherein none knew him, and there he abode a long while. One day, being full of sorrowful thought for what had befallen him, he sallied out to solace himself, and as he was walking along, he heard the distant tramp of horses behind him and said, The judgment of Allah is upon me, and looked about for a hiding place, but found none. At last he saw a closed door, which he pushed hard, it yielded, and he entered a long gallery in which he took refuge. But hardly had he done so, when two men set upon him, crying out, Allah be thanked for having delivered thee into our hands, O enemy of God. These three nights thou hast robbed us of our rest and sleep, and verily thou hast made us taste of the death cup. My brother asked, O folk, what ails you? And they answered, Thou givest us a change, and goest about to disgrace us, and plannest some plot to cut the throat of the housemaster. Is it not enough that thou hast brought him to beggary, thou and thy fellows? But now give us up the knife wherewith thou threatenest us every night. Then they searched him, and found in his waist belt the knife used for his shoe leather. And he said, 
O people, have the fear of Allah before your eyes and maltreat me not, for know that my story is a right strange. And what is thy story? So he told them what had befallen him, hoping that they would let him go. However, they paid no heed to what he had said, and instead of showing him some regard, beat him grievously and tore off his clothes. Then, binding on his sides the scars of beating with rods, they said, O accursed, these marks are the manifest signs of thy guilt. They carried him before the governor, whilst he said to himself, I am now punished for my sins, and none can deliver me save Allah Almighty. The governor, addressing my brother, asked him, O villain, what led thee to enter their house with intention to murder? I conjure thee by Allah, O Amir, hear my words, and be not hasty in condemning me. But the governor cried, adding, Shall we listen to the words of a robber who hath beggared these people, and who beareth on his back the scar of his stripes? They surely had not done this to thee, save for some great crime. So he sentenced him to receive a hundred cuts with the scourge, after which they set him upon a camel and paraded him around the city, proclaiming, This is the requital, and only too little to requite him who breaketh into people's houses. Then they thrust him out of the city, and my brother wandered at random, till I heard what had befallen him, and, going in search of him, questioned him of his case. So he acquainted with me his story and all his mischances, and I carried him secretly into the city, where I made him an allowance for his meat and drink. Then the caliph gave ear to the barbarous tale of his fifth brother. My fifth brother, Al-Nashshar, the babbler, the same who was cropped of both ears, O commander of the faithful, was an asker wont to beg a folk by night and live on their arms by day. Now when our father, who was an old man, well stricken in years, sickened and died, he left us seven hundred dirhams, whereof each son took his hundred. But as my fifth brother received his portion, he was perplexed and knew not what to do with it. While in this uncertainty, he bethought him to lay it out on glassware of all sorts and turn it on his penny or its price. So he bought a hundred dirhams worth of verotery and putting it into a big tray, sat down to sell it on a bench at the foot of a wall against which he leant back. As he sat with the tray before him, he fell to musing and said to himself, No, O oh my good self, that the head of my wealth, my principal invested in this glassware, is an hundred dirhams. I will assuredly sell it for two hundred, with which I will forthright buy other glass, and make by it four hundred. Nor will I cease to sell and buy on this wise, till I have gotten four thousand, and soon find myself the master of such money. With these coins I will buy merchandise, and jewels and attars, and gain great profit on them, till, Allah willing, I will make my capital an hundred thousand dirhams. Then I will purchase a fine house with white slaves and eunuchs and horses, and I will eat and drink and disport myself. Nor will I leave a singing man or a singing woman in the city. I will summon them to my palace and make them perform before me. All this he counted over and over in his mind, while the tray of glassware, worth a hundred dirhams, stood on the bench before him. And after looking at it, he continued... And when, in Nishkala, my capital shall have become one hundred thousand dinars, I will send out marriage brokerages to require for me in wedlock the daughters of kings and viziers. I will demand to wife the eldest daughter of the prime minister, 
for it hath reached me that she is perfect in beauty, and prime in loveliness, and rare in accomplishments. I will give a marriage settlement of one thousand dinars, and if her father consent, well. But if not, I will take her by force from under his very nose. When she is safely homed in my house, I will buy ten little eunuchs, and for myself a robe of the robe of kings and sultans. And get me a saddle of gold and a bridle set thick with gems of price. Then I will mount with the Mamelukes preceding me and surrounding me. And I will make the round of the city whilst the folks salute me and bless me. After which I will repair to the wazir, here that is father of the girl. With armed white slaves before and behind me, and on my right and on my left. When he sees me, the wazir stands up and seating me in his own place, sits down much below me, for that I am to be his son-in-law. Now I have with me two eunuchs carrying purses, each containing a thousand dinars, and of these I deliver to him the thousand, his daughter's marriage settlement, and make him a free gift of the other thousand, that he may have reason to know my generosity and liberality and my greatness of spirit and the littleness of the world in my eyes. And for ten words he addresses to me, I answer him too. Then I go back to my house, and if one comes to me on the bride's part, I make him a present of money and throw on him a dress of honor. But if he brings me a gift, I give it back to him and refuse to accept it, that they may learn what a proud spirit is mine, which never condescends to derogate. Then I establish my rank and status. When this is done, I appoint her wedding night, and adorn my house showily, gloriously. And as the time for parading the bride is come, I don my finest attire and sit down on a mattress of gold brocade, propping up my elbow with a pillow and turning neither to the right nor to the left, but looking only straight in front for the haughtiness of my mind the gravity of my understanding. And there before me stands my wife in her raiment and ornaments lovely as the full moon, and I, in my loftiness and dread lordliness, will not glance at her till those present say to me, O oh, my lord and our master, thy wife, thy handmaid, standeth before thee. Then kiss the ground before me many times, Whereupon I raise my eyes and cast at her one single glance, and turn my face earthwards again. Then they bear her off to the bride chamber, and I rise and change my clothes for a far finer suit. And when they bring in the bride a second time, I deign not to throw her a look till they have begged me many times, after which I glance at her out of the corner of one eye, and then bow down my head. I continue acting after this fashion till the parading and displaying are completed. And Shahrazad perceived the dawn of day, and ceased saying her permitted say. When it was the thirty-third night, she continued. It hath reached me, O auspicious king, that the barber's fifth brother proceeded. Then I bow down my head and continue acting after this fashion till her parading and displaying are completed. Thereupon I order one of my eunuchs to bring me a bag of five hundred dinars, which I give as large as to the tired women present, and bid them one and all lead me to the bride chamber, 
they leave me alone with her, I neither look at her nor speak to her, but I by her side with my face to the wall showing my content, that each and every man may again remark how high and haughty I am. Presently, her mother comes in to me, and kissing my head and hand, says to me, O my lord, look upon thine handmaid who longs for thy favor, so heal her broken spirit. I give her no answer, and when she sees this, she rises and busses my feet many times, and says, O my lord, in very sooth my daughter is a beautiful maid, who hath never known man. And if thou show her this backwardness and aversion, her heart will break. So do thou incline to her, and speak to her, and soothe her mind and spirit. Then she rises and fetches a cup of wine, and says to her daughter, Take it and hand it to thy lord. But as she approaches me, I leave her standing between my hands and sit, propping my elbow on a round cushion, purfled with gold thread, leaning lazily back, without looking at her in the majesty of my spirit, so that she may deem me indeed a sultan and a mighty man. Then she says to me, O oh my lord, Allah upon thee, do not refuse to take the cup from the hand of thine handmaid, for verily I am thy bondswoman. I do not speak to her, and she presses me, saying, There is no help but that thou drink it. And she puts it to my lips, and I shake my fist in her face and kick her with my foot. But I get down with his toe and knocked over the tray of glassware which fell to the ground, and, falling from the bench, all that was on it was broken to bits. Oh, foulest of pimps, this comes from the pride of my spirit cried my brother and then O commander of the faithful he buffeted his face and rent his garments and kept on weeping and beating himself the folk who were flocking to their Friday prayers saw him and some of them looked at him and pitied him whilst others paid no heed to him and in this way my brother lost both capital and profit he remained weeping a long while and at last up came a beautiful lady, the scent of muskets hailing from her, who was going to Friday prayers, riding a mule with a gold saddle, and followed by several eunuchs. When she saw the broken glass and my brother weeping, her kind heart was moved to pity for him, and she asked what ailed him, and was told that he had a tray full of glassware, by the sale of which he hoped to gain his living, but it was all broken, and, said they, There befell him what thou seest. Thereupon she called up one of her eunuchs and said to him, Give what thou hast with thee to this poor fellow. And he gave my brother a purse, in which he found five hundred dinars. And when it touched his hand, he was well nigh dying for excessive joy, and he offered up blessings for her. Then he returned to his abode, a substantial man, and as he sat considering, someone rapped at the door. So he rose and opened the door and saw an old woman whom he had never seen. Oh, my son, know that prayer tide is near, and I have not yet made my wuzu ablution. So kindly allow me the use of thy lodging for the purpose. To hear is to comply. And, going in, bade her follow him. So she entered, and he brought her a ewer wherewithin to wash, and sat down like to fly with joy because of the dinars which he had tied up in himself for a purse. When the old woman had made an end of her ablution, she came up to where he sat and prayed a two-bow prayer, 
After which she blessed my brother with a godly benediction, and he, while thanking her, put his hand to the dinars and gave her two, saying to himself, These are my voluntaries. When she saw the gold, she cried, Praise be to Allah. Why dost thou look on one who loveth thee as if she were a beggar? Take back thy money. I have no need of it. Or, if thou want it not, return it to her who gave it thee when thy glassware was broken. Moreover, if thou wish to be united with her, I can manage the matter, for she is my mistress. Praise be to Allah. Why dost thou look on one who loveth thee as if she were a beggar? Take back thy money. I have no need of it. Or... If thou want it not, return it to her who gave it thee when thy glassware was broken. Moreover, if thou wish to be united with her, I can manage the matter, for she is my mistress. Oh, my mother, by what manner of means can I get at her? And she answered, Oh, my son, she hath an inclination for thee. But she is the wife of a wealthy man. So, take the whole of thy money with thee, and follow me, that I may guide thee to thy desire. And when thou art in her company, spare neither persuasion nor fair words, but bring them all to bear upon her. So shalt thou enjoy her beauty and wealth to thy heart's content. My brother took all his gold and arose and followed the old woman, hardly believing in his luck. She ceased not faring on, and my brother following her, till they came to a tall gate at which she knocked, and a Romy slave girl came out and opened to them. And the old woman led my brother into a great sitting room, spread with wondrous fine carpets and hung with curtains, where he sat down with his gold before him and his turban on his knee. He had scarcely taken seat before there came to him a young lady, never eye so fairer, clad in garments of the most sumptuous. Whereupon my brother rose to his feet, and she smiled in his face and welcomed him, signing him to be seated. Then she bade shut the door, and when it was shut, she turned to my brother, and, taking his hand, conducted him into a private chamber, furnished with various kinds of brocades and gold cloths. Here she sat down, and sat by his side and toyed with him a while, after which she rose and saying, Stir not from thy seat till I come back to thee, disappeared. Meanwhile, as he was on the wise, lo, there came into him a black slave, big of body and bulk, holding a drawn sword in hand, who said to him, Woe to thee! Who brought thee hither, and what dost thou want here? My brother could not return him a reply, being tongue-tied for terror. So the blackamoor seized him, and stripped him of his clothes, and bashed him with the flat of his sword blade, till he fell to the ground, swooning from the excessive belaboring. The Iloman Nubian fancied that there was an end of him, and my brother heard him cry, Where is the sword wench? Whereupon in came a handmaid, holding in hand a large tray of salt, and the slave kept rubbing it into my brother's wounds. But he did not stir, fearing lest the slave might find out that he was not dead and kill him outright. Then the salt girl went away, and the slave cried, Where is the saltery guardianess? Hereupon, in came the old woman, and dragged my brother by his feet to a suitorade, and threw him down upon a heap of dead bodies. In this place he lay two full days, but Allah made the salt the means of preserving his life by staunching the blood and staying its flow. 
Presently, feeling himself able to move, Anashishar rose and opened the trapdoor in fear and trembling and crept out into the open. And Allah protected him so that he went on in the darkness and hid himself in the vestibule till dawn. When he saw the accursed Beldam sally forth in quest of other quarry, he followed in her wake without her knowing it and made for his own lodging where he dressed his wounds and medicated himself till he was whole. Meanwhile, he used to watch the old woman, tracking her at all times and seasons, and saw her accost one man after another and carry them to the house. However, he uttered not a word, but as soon as he waxed hale and hearty, he took a piece of stuff and made it into a bag, which he filled with broken glass and bound it about his middle. He also disguised himself as a Persian, that none might know him, and had a sword under his clothes of foreign cut. Then he went out, and presently, falling in with the old woman, said to her, speaking Arabic with a Persian accent, Venerable lady, I am a stranger arrived by this day here where I know no one. Hast thou a pair of scales wherein I may weigh eleven hundred dinars? I will give thee somewhat of them for thy pains. I have a son, a money changer, who keepeth all kinds of scales. So come with me to him before he goeth out, and he will weigh thy gold. She led him to the house, and the young lady herself came out and opened it, whereupon the old woman smiled in her face and said, (laughs) I bring thee fat meat today. (laughs) Then the damsel took my brother by the hand and led him to the same chamber as before, where she sat with him a while, then rose and went forth, saying, Stir not from thy seat till I come back to thee. Presently, in came the accursed slave with the drawn sword, and cried to my brother, Open be damned to thee. So he rose, and as the slave walked on before him, he drew the sword from under his clothes, and smote him with it, making head fly from body. Then he dragged the corpse by the feet to the souterrain, and called out, Where is the salt wench? Up came the girl carrying the tray of salt, and seeing my brother's sword in hand, turned to fly. But he followed her and struck off her head. Then he called out, Where is the salt ray guardian this? And in came the old woman, to whom he said, Dost know me again, ill-homened hag? No, my lord. I am the owner of the five hundred gold pieces, whose house thou enteredest to make the ablution and to pray and whom thou didst snare hither and betray. Fear Allah and spare me! But he regarded her not, struck her with the sword till he cut her in four. Then he went to look for the young lady, and when she saw him, her reason fled, and she cried out piteously, Aman, mercy! So he spared her and asked, What made thee consort with this blackamoor? I was the slave to a certain merchant. And the old woman used to visit me, till I took a liking to her. One day she said to me, We have a marriage festival at our house, the like of which was never seen, and I wish thee to enjoy the sight. To hear is to obey, answered I, and rising arrayed myself in my finest raiment and ornaments, and took with me a purse containing a hundred gold pieces. Then she brought me hither, and hardly had I entered the house, and the black ifrit seized on me. And I have remained in this case three whole years, through the perfidy of the accursed beldam. Is there anything of his in the house? Great stores of wealth. And if thou art able to carry it away, do so, and Allah give thee good of it. 
My brother went with her, and she opened to him sundry chests, wherein were money bags, at which he was astonished. Then she said to him, Go now and leave me here, and fetch men to remove the money. He went out and hired ten men, but when he returned, he found the door wide open, the damsel gone, and nothing left but some small matter of coin and the household staffs. By this, he knew that the girl had overreached him, so he opened the storerooms and seized what was in them, together with the rest of the money, leaving nothing in the home. He passed the night rejoicing, but when morning dawned, he found at the door some twenty troopers who laid hands upon him, saying, The governor wants thee. My brother implored them hard to let him return to his house, and even offered them a large sum of money, but they refused, and binding him fast with cords, carried him off. On the way they met a friend of my brother, who clung to his skirt and implored his protection, begging him to stand by him and to help deliver him out of their hands. The man stopped and asked them what was the matter, and they answered, The governor hath ordered us to bring this fellow before him, and look ye, we are doing so. My brother's friend urged them to release him, and offered them five hundred dinars to let him go, saying, When ye return to the governor, tell him that you are unable to find him. But they would not listen to his words, and took my brother, dragging him along on his face, and set him before the governor, who asked him, Whence gottest thou these stuffs and monies? And he answered, I pray for mercy. So the governor gave him the kerchief of mercy, and he told him all that had befallen him, from first to last, with the old woman and the flight of the damsel, ending with, What so have I taken? Take of it what thou wilt, so thou leave me sufficient to support life. But the governor took the whole of the stuffs and all the money for himself, and, fearing lest the affair come to the sultan's ears, he summoned my brother and said, Depart from this city, else I will hang thee. Hearing and obedience. Quoth my brother, and set out for another town. On the way, thieves fell foul of him, and stripped and beat him and ducked his ears. But I heard tidings of his misfortunes, and went out after him, taking him clothes, and brought him secretly into the city, where I assigned to him an allowance for meat and drink. And presently the caliph gave ear to the barber's tale of his sixth brother. My sixth brother, O commander of the faithful, Shakashik, for many clamors, shorn of both lips, was once rich and became poor. So one day, he went out to beg somewhat to keep life in him. As he was on the road, he suddenly caught sight of a large and handsome mansion, with a detached building, wide and lofty at the entrance, where sat sundry eunuchs, bidding and forbidding. My brother inquired of one of those idling there, and he replied, The palace belongs to a scion of the Barmaki house. So he stepped up to the doorkeepers and asked an alms of them. Enter by the great gate, and thou shalt get what thou seekest from the wazir, our master. Accordingly, he went in, passing through the outer entrance, walked on a while, and presently came to a mansion of the utmost beauty and elegance, paved with marble, hung with curtains, and having in the midst of it a flower garden whose like he had never seen. My brother stood a while as one bewildered, not knowing whither to turn his steps. Then, seeing the farther end of the sitting chamber tenanted, he walked up to it, and there found a man of handsome presence and comely beard. When this personage saw my brother, he stood up to him and welcomed him, and asked him of his case. Whereto, he replied that he was in want and needed charity. 
Hearing these words, the grandee showed great concern, and putting his hand to his fine robe, grunted, exclaiming, What? Am I in a city, and thou here and hungered? I have no patience to bear such disgrace. Then he promised him all manner of good cheer and said, There is no help but that thou stay with me and eat of my salt. Oh, my lord, I can wait no longer, for I am indeed dying of hunger, answered my brother. So he cried, Boy, bring basin and oar. And turning to my brother said, Oh, my guest, come forward and wash thy hands. My brother rose to do so, but he saw neither ewer nor basin. Yet his host kept washing his hands with invisible soap in imperceptible water and cried, Bring the table. But my brother again saw nothing. Then said the host, Honor me by eating of this meat and be not ashamed. And he kept moving his hands to and fro as if he ate and saying to my brother, I wonder to see thee eating thus sparely. Do not stint thyself, for I am sure thou art famished. So my brother began to make as though he were eating, whilst his host kept saying to him, Falto and not the excellence of this bread and its whiteness. But still my brother saw nothing. Then he said to himself, This man is fond of poking fun at people. And replied, Oh, my lord, in all my days I never knew aught more winsome than its whiteness or sweeter than its savor. The parmesan said, This bread was baked by a handmaid of mine, whom I bought for five hundred dinars. Then he called out, Oh, boy! Bring in the meat pudding for our first dish, and let there be plenty of fat in it. And, turning to my brother, said, Oh, my guest, the law upon thee hast ever seen anything better than this meat pudding. Now by my life eat, and be not abashed. Presently he cried out again, Oh, boy, serve up the marinated stew with the fatted sand gross in it. And he said to my brother, Up and eat. Oh, my guest, for truly thou art hungry and needest food. So my brother began wagging his jaws and made as if he was jumping and chewing, whilst the host continued calling for one dish after another and yet produced nothing save orders to eat. Presently he cried out, Oh, boy, bring us the chickens stuffed with the pistachio nuts. And said to my brother, By thy life, oh my guest, I have fattened these chickens upon pistachios. Eat, for thou hast never eaten their like. Oh my lord, they are indeed first rate. Then the host began motioning with his hand as though he were giving my brother a mouthful, and ceased not to enumerate and expatiate upon the various dishes to the hungry man, whose hunger waxed still more violent, so that his soul lusted after a bit of bread, even a barley scone. Quoth the parmesan, Didst thou ever taste anything more delicious than the seasoning of these dishes? Never, O oh my lord! Eat heartily, and be not ashamed. I have eaten my fill of meat. So the entertainer cried, Take away, and bring in the sweets. And turning to my brother said, Eat, 
of this almond conserve, for it is prime. And of these honey fritters, take this one. By my life, the syrup runs out of it. May I never be bereaved of thee, O my lord. Replied the hungry one, and began to ask him about the abundance of musk in the fritters. He answered, Such is my custom. They put me a dinar weight of musk in every honey fritter, and half that quantity of ambergris. All this time, my brother kept wagging head and jaws till the master cried, Enough of this! Bring us dessert! Then said he to him, Eat of these almonds, and walnuts, and raisins, and of this, and that. They mean diverse kinds of dried fruits? And be not abashed. But my brother replied, Oh, my lord, indeed I am full. I can eat no more. Oh, my guest, repeated the host, If thou have a mind of these good things, eat. Allah, Allah, do not remain hungry. But my brother rejoined, Oh, my lord, he who hath eaten all of these dishes, how can he be hungry? Then he considered and said to himself, I will do that shall make you repent of these plagues. Presently, the entertainer called out, Bring me the wine. And, moving his hands in the air as though they had set it before them, he gave my brother a cup and said, Take this cup, and if it please thee, let me know. He replied, Oh, my lord, it is notable good as to knows, but I am wont to drink wine some twenty years old. Knock then at this door, for thou canst not drink of oat better. By thy kindness, said my brother, motioning with his hand as though he were drinking. Health and joy to thee, exclaimed the housemaster, and feigned to fill a cup and drink of it. Then he handed another to my brother who quaffed it and made as if he were drunken. Presently, he took the host unawares and, raising his arm till the white of his armpit appeared, dealt him such a cuff on the nape of his neck that the palace echoed to it. Then he came down upon him with a second cuff and the entertainer cried aloud, Ah! What is this? Oh, thou scum of the earth! O my lord, thou hast shown much kindness to thy slave, and admitted him into thine abode, and given him to eat of thy victual. Then thou madest him drink of thine old wine, till he became drunken and boisterous. But thou art too noble, not to bear with his ignorance, and pardon his offense. When the Barmaki heard my brother's words, he laughed as loudest, and said, <laughs> Long have I been wont to make mock of men and play the madcap among my intimates, but never yet have I come across a single one who had the patience and the wit to enter into all my humors save thyself. So I forgive thee, and thou shalt be my boom companion in very soup, and never leave me.
Then he ordered the servants to lay the table in earnest, and they set on it all the dishes of which he had spoken in sport. And he and my brother ate till they were satisfied, after which they removed to the drinking chamber, where they found damsels like moons who sang all manner of songs and played on all manner of instruments. There they remained drinking till their wine got the better of them, and the host treated my brother like a familiar friend, so that he became, as it were, his brother, and bestowed upon him a robe of honor, and loved him with exceeding love. Next morning, the two fell again to feasting and carousing, and ceased not to lead this way of life for a term of twenty years, at the end of which the Barmecide died, and the Sultan took possession of all his wealth, and squeezed my brother of his savings, till he was left but a pauper without a penny to handle. So he quitted the city and fled forth following his face. But when he was halfway between two towns, the wild Arabs fell upon him and bound him and carried him to their camp, where his captor proceeded to torture him, saying, Hide thy life of me with thy money, else I will slay thee. My brother began to weep and replied, By Allah, I have nothing, neither gold nor silver, but I am thy prisoner, so do with me what thou wilt. Then the Badawi drew a knife, broad-bladed, and so sharp-grinded that if plunged into a camel's throat, it would sever it clean across from one juggler to the other, and cut off my brother's lips, and waxed more insistent in requiring money. Now this Badawi had a fair wife, who in her husband's absence used to make advances to my brother, and offer him her favors, but he held off from her. One day she began to tempt him as usual, and he played with her and made her sit on his lap. And behold, in came the Badawi, who seeing this, cried out, Pity, O cursed villain, wouldst thou debauch my wife for me? Then he took out a knife, and he cut off my brother's yard. After which he bound him on the back of a camel, and carrying him to a mountain, left him there. He was at last found by some who recognized him, and gave him meat and drink, and acquainted me with his condition. Whereupon I went forth to him, and brought him back to Baghdad, where I made him an allowance sufficient to live on. This then, O commander of the faithful, is the history of my six brothers, and I feared to go away without relating it all to thee, and leave thee in the error of judging me to be like them. And now thou knowest that I have six brothers upon my hands, and, being more upright than they, I support the whole family. When the caliph heard my story and all I told him concerning my brothers, he laughed and said, (laughs) Thou sayest, smooth or silent man, (laughs) thou art indeed spare of speech, nor is there aught of forwardness in thee. But now go forth out of this city and settle in some other. And he banished me under edict. I left Baghdad and traveled in foreign parts till I heard of his death and the ascension of yet another caliphate. Then I returned to Baghdad where I found all my brothers dead and chanced upon this young man to whom I rendered the kindliest service, for without me he had surely been killed. Indeed, he slanders me and accuses me of a fault which is not in my nature, and what he reports concerning impudence and meddling and forwardness is idle and false. For verily, on his account I left Baghdad and traveled about full many a country till I came to this city and met him here in your company. And was not this a worthy assemblage, the generosity of my nature? The end of the tailor's tale. Then quoth the tailor to the king of China. When we heard the barber's tale, and saw the excess of his loquacity and the way in which he had wronged this young man, we laid hands on him and shut him up. After which, we sat down in peace, 
and ate and drank and enjoyed the good things of the marriage feast till the time of the call to mid-afternoon prayer. When I left the party and returned home, my wife received me with sour looks and said, Thou goest a-pleasuring among thy friends, and thou leavest me to sit sorrowing here alone. So now, unless thou take me abroad and let me have some amusement for the rest of the day, I will cut the rope and it will be the cause of my separation from thee. So I took her out and amused ourselves till supper time. When we returned home, I fell in with this hunchback who was brimful of drink and trolling out these rhymes. <laughs> There's the wine, the cup's fine. Like today combined, it is the wine and not cup. Tis a cup and not wine. <laughs> so, I invited him to sup with us and went out to buy fried fish, after which we sat down to eat, and presently my wife took a piece of bread and a fit of fish and stuffed them into his mouth, and he choked, and though I slapped him long and hard between the shoulders, he died. Then I carried him off and contrived to throw him into the house of this leech, the Jew, and the leech contrived to throw him into the house of the Reeve, and the Reeve contrived to throw him on the way of the Nazarene broker. This then is my adventure which befell me but yesterday. <laughs> is it not more wondrous in the story of the hunchback? This that passed between the young man and the busybody of a barber is indeed more pleasant and wonderful than the story of my lying knave of a hunchback. Then he bade one of his chamberlains go with the tailor and bring the barber out of jail, saying... I wish to hear the talk of this silent man, and it shall be the cause of your deliverance one and all. Then we will bury the hunchback, for that he is dead since yesterday, and set up a tomb over him. And Shahrazad perceived the dawn of day, and ceased to say her permitted say. When it was the thirty-fourth night, she said, It hath reached me, O auspicious king, that the king of China bade... Bring me the barber, who shall be the cause of your deliverance. Then we shall bury this hunchback, for that he is dead since yesterday, and set up a tomb over him. So the chamberlain and the tailor went to the jail, and, releasing the barber, presently returned with him to the king. The sultan of China looked at him, and considered him carefully, and, lo and behold, he was an ancient man, past his ninetieth year, Swart of face, white of beard, and hoar of eyebrows, lop-eared and proboscis nosed, with a vacant, silly, and conceited expression of countenance. The king laughed at this figure of fun and said to him, O oh, silent man, I desire thee to tell me somewhat of thy history. O oh, king of the age, allow me first to ask thee what is this tale of this Nazarene and this Jew and this Moslem and this hunchback, the corpse I see among you, and prithee what may be the object of this assemblage. And why dost thou ask? I ask in order that the king's majesty may know that I am no forward fellow, or busybody, or impertinent meddler, and that I am innocent of the calumnious charges of overmuch talk, for I am whose name is the silent man, and indeed particularly happy in my sobriquet. As saith the poet, When a nickname or little name and design, know that nature with name shall full oft combine. 
explain to the barber the case of this hunchback and what befell him at supper time. Also repeat to him the stories taught by the Nazarene, the Jew, the Reeve, and the tailor, and of no avail to me as a twice-told tale. They did his bidding, and the barber shook his head and said, By Allah, this is the marvel of marvels. Now uncover me the corpse of yonder hunchback. They undid the winding sheet, and he sat down, and taking the hunchback's head in his lap, looked at his face and laughed and guffawed till he fell upon his back and said, There is wonder in every death, but the death of this hunchback is worthy to be written and recorded in letters of liquid gold. The bystanders were astounded at his words, and the king marveled and said to him, What ails thee, O silent man? Explain to us thy words. O king of the age, I swear by thy beneficence that there is still life in this Gobogolitely. Thereupon he pulled out of his waist belt a barber's budget, which he took a pot of ointment and anointed therewith the neck of the hunchback and its arteries. Then he took a pair of iron tweezers and inserting them into the hunchback's throat, threw out the fiddle fish with its bone, and when it came to sight, behold, it was soaked in blood. Thereupon the hunchback sneezed a hearty sneeze, and jumped up as if nothing had happened, and passing his hand over his face, said, Achoo! I testify that there is no god but the god, and I testify that Muhammad is the apostle of God. The sight all present wondered. The king of China laughed and he fainted, and in like manner did the others. Then said the sultan, By Allah, of a truth, this is the most marvelous thing I ever saw. Oh, Muslims, oh, so does all. Did you ever, in the lives of you, see a man die and be quickened again? Verily, had not Allah vouchsafed to him this barber? He had been a dead man. Quoth they. Ah, by Allah, by Allah, by Allah, tis a marvel of marvels. By Allah, tis a marvel of marvels. Then the king of China bade record this tale, so they recorded it and placed it in the royal monument rooms, after which he bestowed costly robes of honor upon the Jew, the Nazarene, and the Reeve, bade them depart in all esteem. Then he gave the tailor a sumptuous dress and appointed him his own tailor, with suitable pay and allowances, and made peace between him and the hunchback, to whom he also presented a splendid and expensive suit with suitable stipend. He did as generously with the barber, giving him a gift and a dress of honor. Moreover, he settled on him a handsome sword and created him barber surgeon of state and made him one of his comp companions. So they ceased not to live the most pleasurable life and the most delectable, till there came to them the destroyer of all delights and the thunderer of all society, the depopulator of palaces and the garnerer for graves. Yet, O oh most auspicious king, this tale is by no means more wonderful than that of the two wazirs and the Anis al-Jalak. Quoth her sister Danyazad, and what may that be? Whereupon she began to relate the following tale of the two wazirs and Anis al-Jalis. 1001 Arabian Nights audio drama from Sir Richard Burton's timeless classic, Arabian Nights Entertainment, features Sean Young as Al-Sahid, the barber, the silent man, Edwin Rongtian, Sultan of China, Patrick Seymour, Nazarene Broker, Cameron Nahai, Muslim Weave and Khalid. 
Tom Curran, Jewish physician. Taylor, Zane Patterson. Richard Kingston, Sewell. Karen Heyman, Ben Zai. Marguerite, Sharon Zai. Chris Thurman, Jester Spencer, and first brother, Tara Kuykendall, servant of Landlord's Wife. Olivia Stewart, Landlord's Wife. Patrick Seymour, Landlord. Sean Chiplock as the Kazi. Daniel McRae, Older Woman. Mistress of the House, Cassandra Vladislava, also Taylor's wife. Second brother, Richard Garner. Jamal Ephraim, Captain of the Guard. Third brother, Warren Blackie. Anthony Sardina, Governor. Richard Kingston, House Master. Jake Wishmarts, Town Person. Ryan Edwards, Shapeshifting Shake. A.T. Gonzalez, Fourth brother. Matt Franklin, Fifth brother. Karen Kaler, Old Witch. Damsel, Natalie Von Sisti. Courtier, Jake Whitmarsh. Richard Kingston, Nubian Afrit. Sixth brother, Robert Casaleon. Courtiers, Richard Garner. Chamberlain, Faisal Yakub. Ryan Edwards, Bedouin Bandit. Music, ambient track by Skull Bottle Sorcery, Neptunian. Himalayan Gong, Latana at freesound.org. Musical selections by Xera from freesound.org. Eric and Derek Feiter, Arabian Soundtrack. Aladdin King Tut, Cobra Desert. Jason Donovan, Saladin, licensed for fishburn.com. Sound effects from freesound.org. Opening and ending credits theme in Arabian Theme And Arabian Adventures by Music Maker. Licensed by audiosparks.com. Copyright 2016.